I talked with a few other uh, people in Ethicode and I realized that everybody had this, this cool, calm professionalism, clear competence and confidence, but a, a human aspect that, that really, really attracted me to wanting to be, be part of this tribe and wanting to be part of this company. Hello and welcome to DevOpsona. We run a series called Humans of Ethicode, where we interview interesting figures from Ethicode. Mark Dillon is our recent addition to the team here in Finland, and because our paths have crossed in the past, I knew that condensing in five minutes all what Mark has to say would be a failed attempt. And this is why I invited him to talk to our podcast. We discuss about things to look when people make their career moves. We discuss how software industry has changed during his career, what to look for in people when hiring them, and many, many more. Let's tune into this conversation. Thank you for taking the time to come to our show, Mark. I need to start by saying that this conversation reminds me of Monty Python's uh, Four Yorkshiremen sketch, where the old chaps come together to remember their past. <laughs> Does that ring a bell? Uh, it does. It does. Um, I, I, I tend to always have been trying to look forward in my career, and I, there's an awful lot of uh, we 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 talk about the past a lot. We talk about the good things. We talk about the the challenges. But you know, um, I'm always trying to look look forward to what's next, and I try to like position my life like that a lot. But you know, I, I love talking about some of the things that we've been through together and and otherwise. So it's cool. And Monty Python is always worth looking back to. It is. You know, I think one of the lessons here, uh, and I've, I've been working on this and talking about this a lot lately, is there has always been genius throughout the ages. And you know, it, knowing history, knowing things that have happened before, there have there, many of the things that we're experiencing now, you know, have been experienced before, or you know, have have been done. Like knowing the history of those things, and still being able to understand that, you know, some of the greatest things that have ever happened in humanity have been, you know, years ago, and we we still should be able to appreciate those. Yeah, there is a. There is this expression that history repeats itself, and then some people say that history don't repeat itself; it just reiterates itself, or mm. or something yeah. like that. Anyway, I'm glad to have you here with with us both here in the podcast as well as uh, as in Ethicode. And now we are going to um, talk a little bit about how to look into career, uh, how to look into the software industry. Mm-hmm. You said you want to look forward, but I still want to ask you to go back uh, and and think about um, what are the things that you have been looking when you have been making a career move. Excellent question. Um, so through my career, um, there have been a couple of kind of guiding principles, especially early in my career and when I was building up, uh, building up my competence and my confidence. Um, the first one was I, I started taking uh, this idea of trying to lean into the bleeding edge as much as possible. So uh, bigger organizations, it's like there's always this hot spot of activity that is looking forward towards the future. Mm-hmm. And um, it could be uh, the next big product for the company or the next big platform or the next way of working or something like that. And, you know, having gotten uh, through technology by my technology career by doing that a lot has has really meant something and it's 
it's always interesting because there, there's always going to be change in an organization. There's always going to be change in the world, you know, either history repeating or reiterating itself. But um, one of the things that's been really uh, rewarding to me is to always say, okay, what's the next big thing? And can I be a part of that, even if we don't know really what it is yet or succeed or fail or what it's, what's going to happen. And there's, uh, there's another one that, um, just came to mind as, as you asked the question, which is um, oftentimes I've tried to stay on the big projects or I've mm -hmm. tried to be in um, uh, kind of taking the, the big customer or the lead customer or the lead product or something like that. Not necessarily just, you know, talking about leading technology, but, you know, I, I made a lot of my early career by saying, okay, the big customer, they're a big problem here. So let me take care of it and I'll, I'll figure out things in order to kind of solve those problems. And it's one of the interesting things, you know, coming into a consulting work that, you know, there's so many big customers here and there's a lot of really interesting things that are going on. I think this was when I heard it said of AWS mm -hmm. that, and, and this was like already many, many years ago, probably 10 years ago, that a lot of people want to work for AWS because that's the kind of environment you get to solve problems that you cannot solve anywhere else. So people were gravitated by the complexity of the of the problem to be solved. Um, and I think uh, Carol Dweck in her book, Growth Mindset, that she also talks about that. And she says that even in the early adolescence, when you take people um, and pupils and give them complex mathematical puzzles, some of them are going to be crushed by the complexity and they feel that like they can't take it anymore. And then some people say like, I like it. It's so hard. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's, uh, there's a couple of things that have helped me navigate exactly what you're describing. And um, we all know what flow state is and there've been uh, a lot of writings on it, but flow state, um, the one that I gravitate towards the definition is it's always a little bit harder than what the skills are I have today. Not completely impossible, but a little bit harder. And then when you're thinking in terms of complexity and uh, you know, we have these, when, when we look at uh, you know, metrics and bottlenecks in companies and sometimes you look, they have this huge backlog and the developers are kind of crushed by it. They're never going to feel like they can resolve, you know, even a portion of the things that are kind of poured on them. And you, know, you remove some of that, and maybe things go a little better, but the mindset that I have, um, I kind of, one way that I learned it was at the gym. I had a personal trainer and he would just, really, really put me through it. And I would get back and I would sit on the bench at the gym and I would try to figure out, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Like the, my locker is full of my clothes and what do I do? One step at a time. Hmm. So, okay. So breaking down a complex problem, one step at a time, what is the hardest, most valuable thing that I can do? And can I just focus on this one, only one thing and deliver that value? And you know, and then maybe while I'm doing that, I can break it into enough steps to where I get to be in flow state the whole time. And then value gets created, time goes by, and I feel great at the end of it. So. Yeah, yeah. Remind me of, of two things. Um, I remember from back in my time as a Unix practitioner, the saying was that the, the way of Unix thinking is do one thing and do it well. Yes. And then last summer, as I decided to bite the bullet with closure and functional programming and Tatu Kairi, greetings to Tatu, uh, yes. great guy and a source of all kinds of wisdom. Yes. Um, 
and uh, he kindly agreed to help me with some of the puzzles in the functional programming and and he said that try to find the smallest possible problem to solve mm-hmm. and then start to build the problem solution around that and and he he had a wonderful advice that build a piece of software that basically or or a function that takes the input and returns the input yes and then you start developing it and then you then you go to the uh, go to the second stage of complexity yeah. now um in the engineering world problems that tend to be very very complex to begin with until they are cracked suddenly become very very simple mm-hmm. um and that that means that the software industry will change over time and uh, and the people have to constantly chase for the new complex thing um so question to you how have you seen the software industry change during the career um this is this is i've been in software uh as a professional uh since uh, 1996 now so you do the math um and that was in california and there were some a lot of really bright people coming down to orange county from the valley and uh bringing with them some of the thoughts and processes of of things that were going on up there and one of the greatest things to 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 see software uh, evolve over this time and like since joining epicode i get to see a lot of really state of the art uh software development processes is that it's no longer uh it, it no longer has to be painful to develop software it no longer has to be crunch time all of the time many of the state of the art uh, practices and you know the the pipe dreams just the the utopias that we would think of uh, when i was in my 20s and building uh, software for the wireless industry in uh, Irvine California um it, it, like doing automated uh, releases being able to release to uh, customer staging environments automatically and have them be able to take that into production at the push of a button um we were doing things uh like many of the agile principles people think you know started in the uh, uh the 90s and 2000s um and many of these things were the mythical man month which was about software development in the 60s and the book was written in the 70s uh joint application design which went, which went so far to connecting the customer into the development process you think of agile you think of scrum it's like connecting the developers and the customer right um in the yeah. 70s they were trying to get the customers to write the code and it was called jad joint application development we were doing that kind of stuff in the 90s but the the greatest thing now is that um state of the art is it's not quite a commodity but it and it, it used to be a competitive advantage but now it's starting to become the norm so either you operate at state of the art uh, practices and devops or yeah. you're probably not going to be in business very long and you're not going to keep uh, excellent people involved for very long uh, developers are no longer uh, the other side of it is developers are no longer a commodity um, mm. now um, it is a developers market um they will go to work for the 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 place that gives them the right kind of challenges the right kind of peers the right kind of tools processes environment customer and all of these things and that's the epicode has been kind of a barometer for me like when i stepped in here like i saw how far the needle has really moved you know yeah. compared to where it was when i started nearly 30 years ago would you argue um that um that technology is balancing the scales between developers 
So they are making technology is making individual developers more equal um, f- from the earlier world where the individual differences between individual d- developers were even more staggering. You know, I was I was thinking about just this point um, before we started talking today, Lapa. That um, for for many many years we would talk about you know a developer that is uh, on a scale ten out of ten. You know, mm. the the best that you can get is worth you know maybe many many twenty five out of tens yeah. or fifty five out of tens or something like that. But there's a couple of ways to look at this. One is the greatest developers, the greatest engineers, I think of all humanity are alive right now. And they're working in many different places and in many different sectors. And they are dealing with levels of complexity in terms of uh, development environment, delivery, uh, customer engagement, uh, and just the, the, the entire level of complexity. Let's go back to mythical man month for a minute. Mm. What people call Brooks law is the, uh, the, there's actually three, but um, what people call uh, Brooks law is that the complexity of a system is the square of its interfaces. Yep. So if we take this forward now, the more people that I have to talk to, many people say like an organization of 30 people um, is about the most you can have and still know everybody and know what's going on. Uh, how big is Code at the moment, by the way, Lapa? 400 something. 400 something. something. Yeah. A lot of people. Um, so, but one of the ways that the complexity has been reduced. So if you imagine, you know, big organizations, hundreds of people, uh, dozens of software projects, one of the way complexity has been reduced is through the use of pi- pipelines. Yeah. Because as a developer, I've got my hole in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah. And my input and output goes through the hole in my pipeline. And therefore, the complexity of the system that I have to deal with is greatly reduced. Yeah. And I, I just realized that talking in the kitchen uh, in the last few days uh, here at Efficode that, you know, we are greatly reducing the complexity through the hiding and some of the sophistication behind you know systems like root um, and uh, continuous uh, integration continuous delivery pipelines where now a developer they they get a change request from one place they get their code from one place when they submit their code when they uh, commit it or do a merge request then it, it goes through the pipeline and gives them feedback so the the number of systems that they have to interact with are much smaller and you, you mentioned Brooks Law there, and that reminded me of, which is a, a square of, of its term, whereas uh, it reminded, and actually the cause of asking the question was a prices law um, that tends to say, and maybe I'm paraphrasing it the wrong way here, but the um, if you take a group of people and look at their productivity, 50% of the output is produced by a square root of the size of the team. So if you take a team of yeah. nine people, then three people will produce 50% and then six people produce the remaining um, 50%. And and the nature of my question is, if it is true that technology is balancing the scales between individual developers, then those who don't happen to be the 10 out of 10, mm-hmm. it's easier for them to get from two out of 10 to six out of 10. Um. I've thought about this in different ways over the years, and I'm getting a little long in the tooth now. And uh, uh, I've I've often hired. Uh, I've been the first person when I enter an organization to hire a junior. 
I've been in so many organizations that had, we're, we're only going to hire the absolute best people that you can. Well, maybe sometimes the best person you can hire as a junior. Um, Hmm. There's this Silicon Valley ageism thing that is uh, about uh, hire people with their best work ahead of them rather than their best work behind them. I like to think my best work is still ahead of me. Um, but there's this uh, ability to, like you were talking about the team, and, and let's say it's six to nine people. And if every team of six to nine people um, has one junior, and that junior is uh, being uh, taken as a full team member. Um, there's this thing uh, that we used to talk about in Scrum sometimes is the team protects the weakest as well. Um, this person is going to be able to uh, ask different kind of questions and, and the diversity aspect. They're going to ask different questions than what uh, the senior people will do. They're going to have a very different point of view than the senior people will do. Um, one thing that I see so many places um, with uh, senior people like myself is I've got a tool belt and it's got a bunch of hammers on it. And you know, what happens if you've got a nice hammer, hmm. everything looks like a nail. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the, the juniors aren't going to have that kind of tool belt and they're going to look at things uh, quite differently. And this kind of uh, loyalty as well, even just loyalty of thought that you get from giving somebody their first big break getting them in the energy that they bring because they're, they're not just somebody who's looking for what's going to pay the best or that's going to have this specific technology that they have a hammer for or whatever. They're, they're looking to build their career to the next level. And I think it's really exciting to look at uh, how you can bring younger people into an organization and watch them change the way that the whole organization functions. It's a wonderful point of view that the team is going to protect the weakest. Um, yeah, I, I really don't know where to take it from there, yeah. but it is a really good one. Yeah. Actually, as it happened, we had a briefing call um, with Lande from, from Norway earlier mm -hmm. today and with somebody else, and uh, we should be expecting them in the podcast later. But they used a terminology which wasn't... Um, I haven't been acquainted to that terminology before, that looking things from the inside or looking things from the outside. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they were referring to somebody being part of the organization who is uh, trying to make the change. So in other words, a customer organization. Mm -hmm. And um, and then from the outside would be somebody who has been uh, called in to help make the change. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and if I know a bit about your career, you have been looking a lot of things from the inside. Mm -hmm. Like you have been the CTO and you have been like in different roles, but invariably that has been the role where you look at the problem from the inside. Mm -hmm. That's no longer the case, right? So when you join yeah. Efficode, then you are looking things from the outside and your phone is ringing when somebody else <laughs> has a problem. Oh. So, so what's the what's the difference so how how is the life of a consultant yeah. uh just to hear you say these things gives me goosebumps um so uh one thing i learned a long time ago in my career when hiring consultants is that yes they bring an outsider viewpoint and they span boundaries uh getting to be a consultant now um, it's a couple of different things that you said one is that if I'm hired, especially to a large customer and they have silos, then I don't really know or 
even have to uh, care too much about their silos. One of the things mm -hmm. I'm bringing them is this cross-silo communication. And there are, there's political things in, in life, you know, go back to history again and look at how things have happened for thousands of years. And of course, there's some political things inside of organizations, but also being a consultant, uh, I'm kind of immune to those things. Mm -hmm. So I was hired by someone in order to do a job. So there's a mandate that somebody wants to understand and get this job done so that, that I don't necessarily have if I am a political member of that organization yeah. where I might be trying to you know, uh, work with my colleagues in order to do something that they don't clearly uh, see the benefits for for their part of the organization. So the mandate plus the, the, the lack of those kind of boundaries, I think it's one of the reasons to bring in consultants and it's a great reason to be a consultant because it's, it makes it so much easier to communicate across boundaries when you're an outsider and you have nothing to prove other than the, the case that they have hired you to prove. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really, it's, it's a wonderfully valuable position to be in. And there's something else here that, um, that I realized as part of this journey. I've been a product guy for a long time and the, you know, working with you in, in Nokia days and, and um, we've always been focused on the, on the product. And if you're a product person, what you crave more than anything is customer feedback. Yeah. Now being a consultant, I'm working directly with my customer. I'm getting customer feedback every day all the time all the time minute to minute and then i still get to help them as an outsider with an outsider point of view connect with their customer so it's like the best of both worlds and it's just it's absolutely astonishingly a good feeling to be able to help people in this kind of way by simply you know not having the the encumbrance or the boundaries that they have and being able to help them cross those so a controversial question there, or maybe not a controversial question, but the point of view. I read from somewhere that on an any job, um, one third of your time, you should just feel blissful what's happening around you. And then one third of the time, you should feel like just another day. And then one third of the time, it's going to be like you're grinding and just trying to get through the day. Um, and it doesn't matter what those proportions are. But the question is that um, when you are a, po a political member of an organization, then you have, I would feel that there's more skin in the game beyond my pay and beyond my mandate than if I were a consultant. Uh, and, and then like I take those days that it feels like the, like this is not one of those blissful days but it feels because you so much believe in your cause like you so much want to see what you believe happen that you are willing to do the extra mile for for your company and this sounds political but probably it is like you have to believe in your cause yeah. so how how is that as a consultant wow um <laughs> there's a lot of meat on the on the the question that you just asked um I'm just going to place this out there, which is that uh, I'm not, you know, having read uh, Renaissance era uh, philosophy and things, I'm not entirely certain that happiness is uh, an essential part 
of mm. uh, the human experience. It's something that we crave. It's something that we want, but it's not a means to an end. Um, this uh, blissful another day grinding and working uh, things. Um, if I paraphrase that into my ideal day, my ideal day is I wake up and I might go, okay, it's another day. And I do my, my morning routines and I get to work and I realize, okay, I have work to do. And I manage to structure this in such a way that I get into flow state for a few hours. And um, some of that comes from practice and experience. Some of it comes from just structuring your work according to best practices that are out there that anybody can read in Google. Now, if when I stop and I take the break or I feel a little bit tired or I feel like I've reached an end and I look back, there's some bliss because I realize I have added value to my company's life, my customer's life and my life because I feel good that I, I created something with my hands and my mind. Now, um, that doesn't always work like that. So what do we do? Um, well, uh, one thing is, and I, I just learned this from, uh, from Marco, our, our CTO, and I've done this before in different ways, but he absolutely nailed it as he often does. Um, and he said, um, when I reach a, a point that I, I can't continue on the thing, then I context switch. So if, if I'm working on a document, then I go code something. If I'm, if I'm uh, coding something, then, well, maybe I just need to take a walk. Um, or uh, maybe I will call somebody about the issue that I have. Or maybe I will use this as the moment in my day to catch up on my Slack messages or look at my emails or, or those kinds of things. And we all understand that there is a set of contexts that we work within, and there's more than one. And any of those can provide us a sense of value, a sense of flow. And when we then run out of road or run out of flow, then we can go to another one and, and bring it back. And um, one of the things that kind of ties back these two points is um, before I joined EffiCode, um, I saw a Guy Kawasaki quote, and it was on LinkedIn one day, and it said, if you feel like you're in a game you can't win, then change the game. And we can do this in the short term, we can do it in the midterm, we can do it in the long term. But, you know, the thing that, uh, the thing that drove me uh, to EffiCode, I'll just get this right out there now, which is that um, first I was a customer, and the very first contact I had with EffiCode was the CEO, Ilari. And um, his neighbor asked him uh, to call me to see if there were some DevOps people that could come and help. So the very first touch point I had, and it was fantastic. Um, he, was, he was direct, he was to the point, he was professional, and he was cool. And then um, I talked with a few other uh, people in Efficode, and I realized that everybody had this, this cool, calm professionalism, clear competence and confidence, but a, a human aspect that, that really, really attracted me to wanting to be, be part of this tribe and wanting to be part of this company. And still to this day, every touch point I have, we've got, we've got characters, we've got high experts, we've got uh, professionals in all different areas, but we're all ourselves and we're allowed to be ourselves and we're comfortable being ourselves and we're all one tribe. So it's like the, the greatest thing that, that brought me here was this, every single person that I've talked to here has been an amazing human. So going back to what you said about happiness, and I, I'm also a little bit on the fence there, um, but it's easier to question the role of happiness 
in your life when you really are happy. So, so there's that that aspect. Um, but the other aspect is is don't seek for happiness, seek for meaningfulness. Yes. And then if you end up seeking something which is meaningful, and and if you if you like put your your time into that meaningfulness, then it will eventually make you happy. Very well said. Well, not my words, but uh, I'm happy to quote whoever said yes. them originally. Oh, well, yeah. quoted as well. Yeah. But, yes. So, uh, just a small question. What do you personally want from your life? That's a, a wonderful question. And, and you prefaced it. You kind of, you boxed me in just a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, the, when people traditionally have asked me, uh, what's my definition of success? I say, it's a good day. And I, then I elaborate a little bit and say, it's a good day doing something. I'm going to borrow a little bit, but it's fair. Mm. Meaningful things with good people. Mm. And um, I have different hobbies and, and things, but what really brings me um, peace is knowing that I've, I've done some good work. And how I do good work is with people. I am a collaborator. My number one like value in life and need is to work with people in order to do to do cool stuff, to do meaningful things. So there's a there's a funny thing. I've been a member of a few startups, and you know, as as many uh, kids uh, in the beginning, you know, everybody wants to grow up and they want to be rich and they want to yeah. get a million dollars and and this and that. And I've been a member of of some startups, and I've I've had that kind of dangled that carrot dangled in front of my my mm. face a few times. And I've realized it's it's not about that. It's it's about having a good quality of day where I feel good about what I've done during that day, and I don't feel that uh, I wasn't enough or didn't enough or did something wrong or something like that. So this really simple set of values um, is what keeps me going, and it's I would like to keep doing this as long as I possibly can, and. If I turn this a little bit further, um, I've, I've, this is not my first rodeo. I've seen a lot of things, and there's a, there's a huge number of people out there who are more technically uh, talented than I am or more other kinds of talented than I am. But I seem to always find something to give to, uh, to people uh, when they cross my path. And you know, the ability to keep doing that as long as I can is also something that keeps me going because I've realized I have things to give and please, if there's someone that can use them, I would love to, to help them. So if you look at those uh, different viewpoints that that you have accumulated so far, um, are there some trends or are there some commonalities in those uh, let's say fates of different companies or or the trends where they are going like yeah they are they're all different some of these are spar- startup and some is a big company mm-hmm. and in some organization you are uh, you have more decision making power and in some other cases you have more practitioner role but what what unites them um there's a few things uh I'll, I'll start from a different direction, which is like if, if we think about a startup, um, investors say when we invest in a startup, we invest in the team. We don't invest in the idea. And I say, well, there's there, 
that's one way to look at it. But if I am considering investing in a startup, either money or time or, or whatever, show me your customer. Show me that you understand your customer. And then if you have the right team, you can connect those together and find value for both sides. So that as a trend is something that is a little bit newer than, mm. uh, than it should be. We've talked about it for a long time, but you know, if you, if you look at an average technology startup, they have a piece of technology that they're trying to push somewhere rather than understanding very clearly that there's a customer need and then trying to do honestly as little as possible to serve that need and create business and value for both sides. Hmm. So, you know, it could be that um, instead of a technology product, you might need a simple website or instead of a simple website, you might be able to do something with a Slack channel or, yeah. you know, something even, even, even more minimal than that. And, um, this is something that we're talking about in our sustainability webinar series that's that's coming up. It's like how to find the MVP that deliver that gets you into business. Yeah. And once you're in business, then you you have a customer uh, operational value stream that will give you feedback about what to put into your development value stream. Mm -hmm. And we we talk about development value streams a lot, but let's remember we're product people. Um, I'm a yeah. product person anyway, yeah. and products just products just keep going. Um, you just yeah. keep licensing and licensing or selling and selling and selling the product while development is there to build a product that you can sell. Yeah. And we often we often confuse those two things as well. And um, there's there's a something that I haven't completely um, solved yet, which is the difference between um, very early. Uh, value-driven continuous delivery. So I'm able to connect to a customer and I'm able to deliver to them on a continuous basis before we get to an MVP level or if there's an MVP level where they're expecting more. And this is something that there are, there are some trends that are going around uh, and there's some different techniques and tools and, and different kinds of things. But this is one of the interesting bridges that I think we have to cross, which is that, hey, it's great that you're, you're giving us stuff all the time, but we're really waiting for the MVP level of things. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the, the absolute bare minimum viable product. One, one definition of that was um, set up a website. Don't put any pages there and start working on search engine marketing. And then uh, when people, when, when you, yes. when you know what people are searching for, then yes. your ads begin to work. And, uh, and how do, how do you know that they need it? It's because you look at your access logs and when you get enough 404s, then you know, okay, yeah. that's what they're looking for. And then you don't even need a website, like individual person is going to shrug their shoulders and move on. Like, okay, yet another website that wasn't accessible and why on earth are they putting money for search engine marketing? You as an entrepreneur, you are looking at the error logs and see, oh, that page is performing. That tells me something. Oh. That's absolute bare minimum. You basically put $100 a day for Google ad <laughs> keyword ads and that's all you do. Yep. I absolutely Super. love it. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. One last question. I'm looking forward. So we, we go back to where we started. Uh, what's next for you? That's a great question. Um, I've been looking, so I've been in Finland for 15 winters now, uh, slightly fewer summers. 
And um, this country has been really, really good to me. And uh, I've still kind of been looking for home. And the country is right. So I, I, I want to be here. I've figured that out. But, um, you know, there, there's been a couple of points in my career where I thought I might be able to work somewhere uh, and just keep growing for the rest mm. of my life. Um, I haven't given up on that, but I've realized that maybe it's not exactly the primary goal um, to be in one place for, for mm. a long time. But I've been looking for home and I'm starting to feel like um, I, another reason that I ended up at Efficode is I've, I, I call myself a product person. I've been involved in a lot of product deliveries, um, but the systems of product development are something that I've always been maybe a little more fascinated in. You know, is it like the audio file that's more interested in the equipment than the music or something, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, but so what's next for me, I think is to, uh, learn how as a consultant to leverage the full power of Efficode, the full expertise of this tremendous organization full of amazing people for whatever customer uh, crosses my, I have a, I have a customer at the moment. I'm, I'm super happy to be working with, and I, I want to continue to do that. So what's next for me, I hope is another really good day like today. And um, I had no idea that I would answer exactly like that, but it feels honest and, and true. Yeah. No, yeah. So. Yes, another happy day. It, your approach to, to this, this happy day, um, it almost feels like... I said good day, like every, way, Lapa. Uh, sorry? Good, good, good day. day. Good, good day. day. Every yes. day is a good day. Yeah. Yes. It's almost like you have a summer holiday every day, but it just, <laughs> it's just a fraction of it. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to take, it sounds to me that you don't have to take a break because you are taking break all the time. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell this, uh, there, there, there's a joke here and this has helped me a lot in my career. And um, just because it's funny doesn't mean it's not tr true or helpful and vice versa. So uh, we have a new company policy and I say this in the all hands meeting, we have a new company policy and the company policy is on Monday, you recover from the weekend, you know, everybody hates Mondays. And on Tuesday, we fully expect you to prepare to work. On Wednesday, you work. On Thursday, pat yourself on the back because you worked so hard on, on, on Wednesday. And then on Friday, everybody just prepares for the weekend. And then um, the joke part is then, oh, oh, you have a question. It's like, yes, I have a question. Can we do something about these Wednesdays? Um, <laughs> but, you know, if we kind of go back to this, uh, you know, it's, 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 there is a thing about pacing yourself, but there's also a thing about, you know, context switching and some others, which is one thing that you can do if, if, uh, if the day hasn't started out really well is you can, it's okay to take a moment mm. and stop and mm. have self-compassion to allow yourself to take a moment and stop and then say, okay, if I want to get something done, I have to prepare something. So just prepare to, to do the next thing. Look, you know, make sure that your calendar is up to date. Make sure your task list, your to-do is up to date. You know, make sure that your priorities are clear. Take the first thing and do a, do a breakdown structure or, or, you know, understand something better. And then you, sooner or later, if you just practice, you'll fall into a flow state on those things. And then you'll realize, okay, you're at a stopping point. And then you can say, okay, well, you know what? I accomplished something today. 
And then you can context switch and do some administrative things, do something else, give yourself a moment and say, okay, it's okay to take a break when you need to, and then keep going. And this is one of the keys. That little joke has helped me through more burnout scenario in in the the 15 years that I've been in Finland anyway, where the autumn hits us like a like a bulldozer every year and everybody starts yeah. uh, having some different kinds of difficulties. So Yeah, but the yeah. summer summer in Finland has a different name. It's called 90 day trial period. <laughs> <laughs> 90 yeah. days of summer. I haven't seen that in Finland. But. Oh yeah. Well, that's uh, it's relative. I have a nine rapid fire questions, and this is something that, that we are putting in place for all of our uh, participants um, in the podcast. So just to respond them w- without thinking. Okay. So the first one is fill in the following sentence, and the sentence starts with DevOps is. DevOps is the tools, systems, processes that enable high performance software teams. What three questions do you ask to tell if a company needs your help? Uh, show me your customer. Um, tell me how you deliver, and tell me what the company goals or strategy is about. You are called to help your customer with DevOps, but your fear is real and stuck in your throat. What's the first thing you do? Um, I would send a Slack message to some colleagues, describe the situation and see if there's anything that they can do on the back line in order to help the customer while I run to the customer. What is something people often get wrong about DevOps? Um, I think that they try too hard to label it um, as one thing or another. People have then discussions, is it culture, is it process, is it tools? And in fact, it's it's whatever it takes in order to be able to efficiently and constantly deliver value to your customer. What trends or new things you would like to see become mainstream? Um, one thing I think is really interesting is uh, DevOps as a service, whereby um, Companies that want to develop something and developers who want to write code can simply use a DevOps service in order to uh, build tests, configure and deploy um, their software um, in, a, in a lightweight, flexible, fast, agile manner. What is your secret personal productivity tool? Paper. Um, I write to listen. And if I'm sitting across the table from someone, um, the interesting thing is that when I am listening and writing down the things that they uh, are talking about, they start pointing to my notes as we're having a discussion. Which book have you completed most recently? Um, I finished the Accelerate book. Um, just I have five or six books open at the moment, but I finished Accelerate. Uh, just before joining Epicode. And there was not only is it a tremendous reference and state of the art in terms of what's going on in, uh, in uh, DevOps today, um, but fantastic, fantastic book. What is something that brings great joy in your life? Uh, working with people to solve problems. I'm going to say two things and um, helping people directly solve their own problems. And lastly, what is something that you are grateful for right now? This. Um, 
I will have to tell a quick story, which is that um, like there's a movie and there's a book, the, the uh, uh, unbearable lightness of being. And one of the points of the book is that uh, we never know which path, if we had chosen a different path in life, where we would have ended up. Well, I choose this. I would have changed nothing in order to get here and be here today, having this conversation with you, working in this company, having these customers, these colleagues, these problems to solve. That is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Lapa. Thank you for listening. Mark, like everyone in our teams, works with our customers day in and day out. So the best way to reach them is either by their company email, by filling in the contact us form on our website, or just reaching out to them on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on our platform. It means the world to us. Also, check out our other episodes for interesting and exciting talks. I say now, take care of yourself and good day to you.